Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. The show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. Last time we left off talking about Turgon, the son of Fingolfin, and Finrod, and their adventures out into the wild. Remember this? They ended up uh, being visited in dreams by Ulmo, and were given almost like their own little side quest in video game terms, if they were their own protagonists in the games. They were worried about what Melkor was cooking up north and the fact that he'd been quiet for so long. And they also had dreams of settling their own lands and creating their own cities. And so they were sent out into the wild in order to discover basically where to plant their roots. Some of the other great Noldor had already taken up lands in the north. And by this point, Finrod had uh, been visiting Doriath, King Thingol. Remember, he didn't really want any of the Noldor settling in his lands, specifically the area of Doriath. But they were welcome to settle other places. Well, Finrod and his sister, Galadriel, who I'm sure you recognize, had been guests of Thingol for a while. And Doriath, like the main... The main city of Doriath was located underground. It was in Menegroth. We talked about this, the, the caves of Menegroth. And they were beautiful. They were inspirational for places like where the elves come to live under Mirkwood in the Third Age. Well, Galadriel had decided to stay in Doriath, and she was actually welcomed to stay there. And it isn't exactly explained how that situation arises, but we do know that she met Celeborn. Celeborn was one of the people of King Thingol. And due to that connection, that relationship, their, uh, their marriage, she was welcome to stay there. And during that time, she learned a lot from Melian, the Maiar. That's where a lot of her wisdom in later ages comes from, the, the time she spent in Valinor, but also being in the presence of a Maiar in Beleriand, in Middle-earth, was something that many people didn't have. And so she, she utilized that in order to, to learn many things. But this story isn't about her. We've been talking about her. This is about Finrod, her brother. And Finrod was inspired by these caves and the beauty of the caves and the safety of the caves in particular. And I like to imagine that this probably happened... One night after dinner, something, they'd been having some wine with King Thingol, and Finrod 
opens up to Thingol about his dreams. The dreams that Ulmo has been implanting in his mind. And Thingol speaks to him of a deep gorge in the river Narog. The river Narog was west of Doriath. It ran north-south along the western side. It was a good, a good ways from Doriath, but between, think between the forest of Doriath and the uh, coast, there's this river. And along the river, there's a deep gorge. And basically, King Thingol says, all right, well, if you want to create a place where your people can live that's similar to mine, a place that would be difficult to find, a place that you could delve into the land, a place with some natural caves that you could then hollow out for a city, this is the right place to go. This gorge in the river Narog. And so Finrod sets out. He heads down the river, and sure enough, he comes across the caverns of Narog, these beautiful, deep, hard-to-find caverns. And so he decides in that moment that he's going to set up his new home here. He's going to found a city. He's going to build a city underground, much like the city of Menegroth in Doriath. A safe place. A place where the forces of evil, the forces of Melkor, of Morgoth, the orcs, and the other terrible things that he sets out into the world will have a very difficult time finding him. Now, in order to delve out an entire city underground from natural caves, you're going to need some workers. You're going to need some people who know what they're doing when it comes to mining and clearing out caves. And who better to hire for the job than the dwarves of the Blue Mountains? By this point in time, the elves had established a relationship with the dwarves, the dwarves of the Blue Mountains off to the east. And we talked about this with some of uh, Finrod's kinsmen and, and the connection with the dwarves there and, and the trade that had opened up between the peoples. Finrod goes to the dwarves and basically brings with him a load of money. Finrod, of all of the, the elves that came over from Valinor, Finrod is the one who brought with him the most riches, it is said. And so he had things that the dwarves were interested in, gold and jewels. And so he was able to hire them. And he brought them to the Narog River, to these caverns, and hired them to clear out the caverns, to build it out just like in Menegroth, which they had previously helped construct as well. And so a friendship is built between Finrod and the dwarves, and they give him a name. This, this relationship is very interesting because most of the rest of the history, we will almost never hear of Finrod without his surname, Feligund. And Feligund means hewer of caves. 
basically, he is the elf who hewed the caves. And they don't give that name to Thingol, because Thingol's known for many other things. But Finrod is specifically known by the dwarves to be the one who delved the caves and the one who hired them to do so, which is something they love doing. Think about the relationship you see in The Lord of the Rings that grows between Gimli and Legolas, and especially when they get to Helm's Deep, and Gimli gets to explore the caves in Helm's Deep, and he says to Legolas that he'd like to come back there later and explore it with him, and Legolas agrees to this. This is part of their friendship that forms after the events of the Lord of the Rings. And there's this situation here with a dwarf and, or at least dwarves and an elven prince basically bonding over something that both of them are into, which is kind of cool, right? So Finrod Feligand, that's who we're going to know him as for the rest of the story. And there's one other little detail here that's worth noting in creating the caves, the dwarves also crafted a necklace, the Noglamir, the necklace of the dwarves. And this is supposedly one of the beautiful creations of the elder days, the ancient world. It's a golden necklace and inset in this golden necklace were some gems which were brought from Valinor. By Finrod. And Finrod would wear this necklace, and it was said that it was very light to wear. And this is one of those things that Tolkien does in his writings. When when somebody crafts something and it seems um it seems special or different or of note, often it has features which defy the way that the item looks. It looks like it would have some weight to it. It's golden, it's got some gems inset, but it is said to lie very lightly on the neck of the wearer and that it always was presented outward as if it was laying correctly. You know, like a necklace can sometimes get twisted or, or pieces of it can flip over. It always looked like it was in the right placement, almost like of its very nature, it either just kind of magically did this or it was so balanced and weighted perfectly that it always set correctly on the wearer which is kind of a cool thing to point out. So this area, this cave area on the river Narog was known as Nargothrond, Nargothrond, which is a really cool name. And we're going to revisit Nargothrond a lot in the future. There are events that take place here and there's a good reason why Finrod would have hidden his people in a cave along the Western river that's a little bit further away from the north. We'll get into that in the future. Now, Turgon, remember his his buddy Turgon? Finrod and Turgon go looking for places to settle their people. They both are given dreams. And Turgon is not inspired by caves so much as he's inspired by the city of Tyrion in Valinor. Tyrion was up on a mound, and it was a city with spires and towers and it was surrounded by mountains and Tyrion went looking for a place that would make sense for this and he had a hard time finding it it said that he returned back to where he came from from Neverest and basically settled back down there for a bit 
kind of gave up on the uh, the searching for this optimal location until Omo appeared to him again, this time not in dreams, but as himself. And basically, it says in the text, bade him go forth alone into the Vale of Sirion. <laughs> so this is how important this was. The fact that Turgon hadn't yet found where he was meant to go, or Omo was like, hey, go do this. That Omo shows up himself. A Valar goes to him directly and says, hey, this is what you need to go do. Go Keep, keep looking. And so with Omo's guidance, he discovers a place called... Tumladen. This is a hidden vale with encircling mountains. This is this area is actually north of Doriath. It's between where Melkor has taken over the north and the forest of Doriath. There's this little inset area, this place of hills and mountainsides, and in between all of the mountains, there's a, kind of this inset area. It's it's this like valley in the middle. And so Turgon realizes that he's found the place that he was looking for. So he founds the city of Gondolin, the hidden city. And whereas Nargothrond was underground and hard to discover because of that, Gondolin instead is encircled by mountains. And so these are two very different tactics. One is hide underground, try to go undetected because of that. But Gondolin is surrounded by natural fortifications. It's both hard to see, hard to find, hard to enter, easy to defend. And these two cities, although they are two of the newest cities to pop up on this part of the continent, become very crucial to the story moving forward. So keep them in your memory, Nargothrond and Gondolin. Now, you might be wondering, what's going on with Melkor? What's he up to? It's been a little while since we've heard anything, right? Well, we're about to get a reminder that his hatred of the elves has not gone away. He's still cooking up some things. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, a anniversary diamond orb gear a bunch of other items it is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code maxpool m-a-x-p-o-o-l maxpool don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to marvel strike force for sponsoring this episode if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes insomnia brain fog moodiness or weight gain you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging the experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 
91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. Welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we get to thank our patrons, all 23 of you currently. Thank you so much for your support and welcome to Aaron S. and Zach S. Different S's, different S last names, but same letter. Uh, Welcome to the Patreon. I'm glad you guys are here. Thanks for signing up. And a big shout out to our tier three VIP patrons, Esoteric Rage and Larry. Thank you so much to both of you guys. All 23 of you, thank you for the support. I hope you guys are enjoying the bonus episodes and the early episodes. If you're just a tier one person, you're getting early episodes with no ads. Um, Tier two, you get bonus episodes. The bonus episode this week will be a look at one of the interviews that Tolkien did back in 1962. We're going to listen to the interview and I'm going to pick apart some of the details and kind of go in a little bit more depth about that. So if that's something you're interested in hearing, actual J.R.R. Tolkien's voice and his delivery on some of his thoughts, it's always interesting to see how he spoke because it makes a lot of sense the way the books read when you listen to the way he speaks. And it's also amazing to me that we're listening to somebody who learned to speak, learned to speak the Queen's English before the 1900s, because he was born in the 1800s. And it's just amazing to hear voices from the past in that way. So we'll take a look at that. Also, I've got a review to read out. This one comes from Jesh Hort on Apple Podcasts in the United States. Five stars, inspirational content. This podcast inspired me to start reading the Silmarillion myself. That's awesome. I love when people are like, hey, this is so cool. I want to check this out. I grew up watching the movies, but could never get myself to read them. Well, the books, right? Not the movies, because reading a movie would be, I guess some people do that. Some people read the transcripts of movies, right? The the actual script. Anyway, uh, now I find, <laughs> sorry, that's neither here nor there. Now I find myself buying the Silmarillion because hearing the way robots talks about the lore makes me want to dive in more. I can't wait for the next episode every week. And I plan on reading the Silmarillion along with the podcast from now on. 10 out of 10 would recommend. That's awesome. I wonder how many of you guys are actually kind of reading through as I go, because for the most part, I've stayed. I mean, I've every so often I'll jump timeline in order to point out something that I think needs pointing out. But for the most part, I've gone in order of things. As things continue to develop, there might be more asides, or I might just continue with the general story, follow the Silmarillion all the way through, and then dig deeper into certain sub-stories. Baryon and Luthien, uh, the children of Hurin, um, the stuff that happens during the Second Age, with uh, the new book that's coming out soon. And the, the TV show, it's going to be 
it's, there's going to be lots of awesome content. So stay tuned for all that. And thank you to everybody for supporting the show. I really do appreciate it. All right, let's get on with the rest of the episode. While these princes of Valinor, these princes of the Noldor, have been settling the land, creating these cities, building out fortifications, Melkor has been watching. You'll hear reference to the spies of Morgoth or the spies of Sauron in these stories, and it's never very clearly stated exactly who these spies are unless you come across one and you find out like, oh, this person was working as a spy for the enemy. Uh, some of the people in Bree, for example, in the uh, the Lord of the Rings. In this world, the spies, or at least at this time in this world, you have to assume that some of the spies are elves. And we'll get into that a little bit more in, in just a little bit, but keep that in mind. There are spies. There are people who are reporting the events that are going on. And Melkor knows that these Noldor are wandering abroad. They're not really worried about war. They're thinking about where they're going to settle. And he decides he's going to send out some more orcs out from the north in order to test their defenses. See if he can take them unaware And it's said here in the Silmarillion, his might was stirred and suddenly there were earthquakes in the north and fire came from fissures in the earth and the Iron Mountains vomited flame. The Iron Mountains being the mountain range around that was kind of like covering the north. The orcs poured forth across the plain of Ardgallon. So this was a test. This becomes the third battle of Beleriand in the wars of Beleriand, the Dagor Aglareb, the glorious battle. And it's given that name because, and let's just quote some more stuff because the text is so good. Fingolfin and Madros were not sleeping. Remember they settled in the North. They were the barrier to Melkor that was protecting the rest of the continent, basically. And while others sought out the scattered bands of orcs that strayed into Beleriand, they came upon the main host from either side as it was assaulting Dorthonian, and they defeated the servants of Morgoth. Basically, they squished them in the middle as they came down into Beleriand, the main force, and destroyed them. In fact, they routed them so deeply that they pushed them all the way back to the gates of Angband, the fortress. Now, as we talked about before, the fortress was impregnable. It was too great. The walls were too thick, too tall. It was surrounded by some mountains and the elves would not be able to take the fortress, even with the strength they had here. So this begins what is known as the siege of Angband. This siege was not a complete siege. When you think about sieges in history, oftentimes that means that a city or village or or castle is completely surrounded by one group keeping the other group from entering and leaving. It's a complete siege. The idea is that you will eventually starve out the people who are being besieged and they would eventually give in to the terms in order to lift the siege. Engban 
could never completely be sieged all the way around. And it has to do with, again, the natural mountains and the shape of the, the land around it. So from the south, the elves were able to maintain a siege, more of a wall, keeping the orcs and the evil from leaving the fortress. But to the north, there were openings. There were crevices in the mountains. There were tunnels that the orcs had dug and places that the orcs could still leave and come out through other paths from other locations into the rest of Beleriand. But this is called the Siege of Angband. And during the Siege of Angband, there still happened many battles. It doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that war stops because the siege is happening. That's another feature of sieges is usually once a city or place is sieged, conflict, active conflict tends to end or at least be minimal. That's not necessarily the case here. And in fact, Melkor decides to test something else out as well. He sends a group of orcs, orcs a small band, not, not a large enough band for it to be called one of the official major battles, but he sends them off to the northwest through the, the areas of grinding ice that the uh, Noldor came through and then down into the south. And they, again, were pushed back. But the threat of evil, the threat of danger was enough to shake up some of the elves again into complying with some of the things that he wanted. And these were the, the tactics that he was using at the time in order to rule with fear, in order to get what he wanted. The elves that were closest to him, especially in these areas, many of them would comply when captured into giving information because there was such fear of Melkor and what he could do. Even now, even though the the forces, the orcs are being pushed back and being held back by the majority of the elven forces, there's still this, this feeling that Melkor is powerful. And if he's going to send a band of orcs into your village, then they might very well kidnap you, your family, your children, take you into bonds in Eggband torture you in order to get the information that they want. So this overarching fear, this looming darkness was still prevalent in the fact that he was just omnipresent in a way. There's a line here from the text that says he commanded the orcs to take alive any of them that they could and bring them bound to Angband. And some he so daunted by the terror of his eyes that they needed no chains anymore, but walked ever in fear of him, doing his will wherever they might be. The image here I get is that he, he goes and captures orcs. He sends these bands down into, into the world, and many of them get killed by the, by the elves. The elves are amazing warriors, masterful tacticians, but that doesn't mean that they catch and kill every orc. Melkor plays the number game, and some of the orcs are able to bring back slaves or at least prisoners. And some of these prisoners get visited directly by Melkor himself so much that they can look him in the eyes. And his scale of power has been reduced from the early stories, but he is still formidable in a way that the average elf appearing in front of him would not stand a chance. 
And this experience basically destroys the resistance of the individual who has to look at his terrible eyes and the idea that they don't even need chains anymore, that he would then, once they were broken, release them back into the world, knowing that when they get called on to bring him information or do whatever he needs them to do out in the world, that they will comply because they are so afraid. This ruling by fear, direct fear, direct threats from him standing in front of the enchained prisoners. It's pretty, it's pretty dark. So at this point in the story, Melkor gets back some information from these mentally enslaved spies of his. And he realizes, or at least he thinks he realizes, that Fingolfin is vulnerable. He knows that Madros is very, very ready for any counterattack here. But he thinks that he has an opportunity here to take on Fingolfin. Now, whether that means specifically to destroy his forces or to capture him, I'm sure he would have been okay with either of those results. We're not exactly sure. But this is the group that he sends through the grinding ice and then down into the lands that Fingolfin had. And this this group is routed, destroyed again. There is no contest here. Both of these instances, the orcs that Melkor sends are utterly destroyed. And it's at this moment that Melkor realizes that he needs a new weapon, that the orcs on their own will not be enough. I also get the sense that he's not sending out the Balrogs. There's only so many of them, and they are used mostly for the defense of his fortress. So he's not sending Balrogs out into the world. Although the early stories, the early versions of these stories actually include a larger number of Balrogs, which is terrifying if you think about it. But uh, this final version of the story, the, the later version of the story that was used in the Silmarillion, it's just orcs. And there is no bringing up of these werewolves and some of these other creatures. I have a sense that those are limited. And the orcs are not enough. So Melkor devises a new weapon. And Melkor's weapons are not necessarily swords and arrows and siege equipment. He has those. He hasn't created something like gunpowder. That's not, that's not where he's going with this. He's creating a new creature. Or at least warping existing creatures into new, terrible versions. Because we have to remember that Melkor cannot create, he can only corrupt. And it's in this moment that we learn about Glarung, the first of the Uruloki, the fire drakes of the north. Melkor has invented dragons. And you might be wondering, yeah, we haven't heard about dragons yet. At no point in the stories do dragons come up. Where do they come from? Dragons are an invention of Melkor. Something that will be evil and powerful enough to break the siege. To fight against the armies of elves. They are toxic, magical, 
greedy and powerful evil creatures that Melkor will unleash into the world. And the first one, the very first dragon, its name is Glarung. And we'll learn more about him on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.